Welcome to the Gods to Ghosts Volleyball Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bemke. Today's podcast features legendary UCLA Bruins men's volleyball coach, Al Skates. Over his 50-year career at the helm of the program, Coach Skates won 21 NCAA championships, had 1,239 career wins for an 812 winning percentage, was the six-time coach of the year, including 24 conference titles and three undefeated seasons. He was also the Pac-12 coach uh, of the century when it comes to volleyball. He was inducted into the International Volleyball Hall of Fame in 1993, the UCLA Bruin Hall of Fame in 2003, and the California Beach Volleyball uh, Association Hall of Fame in 1998. And that's only a handful of the accolades from his illustrious volleyball resume. With that being said, let's get started with part one with Coach Skates. So let me preface the uh, conversation here today, uh, Coach Skates, that if at some point in the call you hear a loud thump like a 170 pound guy falling over and uh, there's a short dead pause on the phone for a bit it's probably just me because I passed out in disbelief by the fact that I'm speaking to you today so um, with that being said uh, let's start at the very beginning Uh, tell us about your background and how you were introduced to the sport of volleyball Al okay I uh well, starting junior college because that's when I started playing. I played uh, well in high school. I played baseball and, and uh, basketball. Those two sports went together. You either played football and track, it seemed like, or you played basketball in the fall and baseball in the spring. So those are my two sports. And then uh, I got to Santa. I went to work full time as a. Uh, a, a tractor driver at uh, Santa Mo- at, in Santa Monica Douglas Aircraft so I could earn enough money to go to college and I I wanted to be an electrical engineer but what happened is I got into college and uh, I started I started coaching kids and then after a year, I decided I wasn't going to be like my Uncle Joe and be an electrical engineer. I was I was going to be a coach. And then I, I, I was playing uh, basketball. And my sophomore year, I said, gosh, what if I want to be a football coach? I've never played football. So I went out for the football team, and uh, Coach Powers used to do the quarterback and put me on the scout team. And I, I, could, I had great hands, so I caught everything he threw. And then whenever we'd scrimmage the first team offense, I'd be a tackle. 
So I'm, I'm going to just tell you a little story. A guy named Marv Marinovich showed up one day. Oh, I remember him. Todd's father, correct? He was a USC yeah. guy too, okay? Yeah, he came in a couple of years late. I mean, a couple of weeks late to practice. And so uh, I saw him lined up against our first team, all-metro guard. He's a sophomore now. Within a few minutes, Marinovich rips his helmet off and hits him in the head with it. And Coach Powers, he says, all right, Marinovich, take a lap. That was his punishment. Meanwhile, the kid had a concussion and was out of practice for a while. He came back later. But uh, Marinovich wasn't a big guy, but he was really strong and quick. And uh, I remember one time, well, he switched him to offense, and I was playing defensive line, and I made the tackle, and Coach Powers shoot him out, and you said, you let that guy tackle, you let him through there. And uh, so the next play, it was interesting, you know, because he was coming after me. But uh, I weighed about the same as he did at the time, 183. And it, it was it was fun. But uh, after the season, I'm getting to the volleyball part now. After the season, Coach Powers uh, comes up to me, he sees me somewhere, and he says, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to coach a volleyball team. We're going to compete against the other junior colleges. I want you to come up. So it was a huge tryout, and uh, the tryout was outside, I remember, on some uh, volleyball courts outside. And uh, there were like 35 guys, and I didn't know how to play. So he cut me real fast, and I, I, I watched the guys that, you know how Buddy White, one of my basketball teammates, was terrific. He made the team. I says, Buddy, where, where, where'd you learn to play? Where do I learn to play? I think this looks like fun. He says, go down to State Beach, Santa Monica. So I used to go down there very early on the weekends so I could uh, play because once the good players came, if you lost... You had to put your name on the list, and you never really got back on the court because other people would, uh, the veterans would come down and put their name ahead of you and that type of thing. So there was only one good court to play on, and that's that's what you wanted to do. So one day, I had been on the court for a long time. I was getting better and better partners as I was learning. This was 1959 summer of 59 and I see this this bow-legged guy come down the steps with an entourage of young ladies in bikinis and guys and and uh, so one of my opponents says hey Gene take my spot so Gene walks on the court no warm-up this guy was Gene Selznick but that didn't mean anything to me at the time oh of course I I thought the guy was an idiot for leaving because he was gonna lose his spot. And first thing Gene does is he serves this sky ball up in the air. I, I'd never seen one before. And uh, it was right in the sun and it landed for an ace. And then he throws up he, a serve, a standing spin serve 
which breaks about six feet. I hadn't seen one of those. That's another ace. Anyway, he wiped me out. And so I stayed around and watched him as I watched all the good players, but I hadn't seen him before. And uh, he was the best player I saw up to that time, beyond a doubt. And that's how you learned in those days. There were no camps, no coaches, no high school volleyball. The only volleyball was in colleges. And uh, so, I mean, there was no training unless you happen to have a PE teacher like Larry Rundle, who was into volleyball and actually helped them learn how to play. Yeah, he but had uh, Heiser and Steer, didn't he? Yeah, those two. Yeah, and, and you know, if you didn't have that type of, of help, you didn't even know what volleyball was. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I saw it a little bit. I, I mean, I surfed and... and I had a big board, and if the waves were too small, then I played a little bit with other guys at surfing spots that didn't know how to play either. <laughs> Just surfers <laughs> waiting for a big wave start, you know. But this was totally different. So one day, um, I, I got a terrific player named Walt Schiller, who set for the Hollywood Y, which was the best team in the country asked me to play in a volleyball tournament yeah uh, this is my first tournament Walt was a tremendous setter which is really important because I wasn't a very good passer the only thing I could do was hit and block actually but you couldn't block over the net so but that was more effective for me than trying to dig at the time because I, my digging was ter terrible. <laughs> and never was very good, by the way. My entire career got better as I got older, of course. So Walt and I took third in this tournament. And so I was never allowed to play in anything from that point on. But an open tournament, I think later they called them AAA tournaments. So I never played in a double A or an A or B or whatever. So I, I, I didn't win tournaments. I think I won about two. And because, you know, by 61, I was married. And by 62, I was working full time. So, and, and by 62, I had a child. I, didn't, I had to earn. I, was, I didn't have time to go to hang out at the beach and learn how to play. So I just, I just met my partner at the tournament. And uh, most of the time, my partner was uh, a great athlete from San Diego named Bobby Mendoza, who actually drove a truck. And uh, he didn't have time to practice either. But I got in some mixed tournaments with some great gals, Patty Steer and Tina Lennon and, and uh, a future Olympian, Sharon Peterson. We, we, we won a mixed tournament it was called the California Mixed Championships. We, but it was played on hardwood at Santa Monica College. And that was interesting because I was running the gym at Santa Monica College during the summers. And uh, I, I, I was totally in charge of this gym which had basketball courts and volleyball courts. And the finals 
were scheduled after the time I was supposed to close the gym because it, the games were taking so long. I mean, we had uh, Selznick was in the tournament, Erickson was in the tournament, Ernie Swore was in the tournament. Wow. But at the end, it was, it was Mike and Patty Bright, two, two Olympians, and Sharon Peterson and myself. And so I told the, the people watching, I said, I'm, I'm gonna have to lock the doors and you're gonna have to stay here until the end if you wanna stay here. Otherwise, you have to leave. But, you know, the volleyball people all stayed and I got rid of all the basketball players and locked up. And uh, what happened was that uh, we finally won because Sharon Peterson passed a third of the court. And when she passed, she passed such a nice ball, I hit it. And uh, when she dug a ball, she took a third of the court. and. The tactics were, if the girls on the court serve her, usually on the beach, the girl stood in the corner. So the man took the whole court. But indoors, uh, Sharon was such a terrific player that she took a, a third and they still tried to serve her and she nailed the pass. And uh, that's why we won eventually. I mean, she was good enough where I could block and she would she would be back there digging. And uh, she was just amazing. She went on to have a great coaching career in Hawaii. And, and she was she's a great Olympian. I haven't seen her probably since, since <laughs> the days of the tournament. So anyway, in uh, 59, I, I learned how to play. But then, you know, I, I, had to, I couldn't just play. I had to, I had to earn. I, I didn't, my dad had enough money to pay for my tuition, which was $7 a semester at Santa Monica College and 75 at UCLA. But as far as his room and board and car and insurance and meals and all that other stuff, that was on me. So I, I had to earn, and so I was, uh, I was working. So I didn't get to spend a lot of time. I was married by the time <laughs> I was uh, 21 between semesters at Santa Monica uh, UCLA. So that was more responsibility. So my beach experience from that time on was just playing in tournaments. And uh, if there was not a tournament, then I, I got to play on weekends to practice, but never with Bobby Mendoza because he was in San Diego. I mean, I occasionally played with other guys, Keith Erickson, some other guys, but I only played with Keith once because I got so mad at him. He, uh, he was, we were playing Lang and, and uh, who were we playing? Lang and Selznick. And see, Keith was just convinced the only way we could possibly beat him, he may have been correct, was to just serve as hard a spin serve as he could possibly serve. And that's the way we could score. The problem is, he wasn't getting any of those in the court that day. And uh, I was getting all the serves. So, you know, I was getting a little tired. And uh, <laughs> so, he, he, to this day, when I see him, we still talk about that. <laughs> and uh, I went back to Bobby Mendoza after that. <laughs> I, blame you. I didn't want to stand there and watch you know, 
I didn't want to stand there and watch him serve out all the time. I'll tell you about, along the, the beach topic, you know, I'll tell you about one thing. Our greatest win was not even a win, but we beat, uh, Bobby and I beat uh, Bill Rika and Ron Von Hagen at the Manhattan third place. So that was our greatest victory on the beach. And uh, I, you weren't allowed to block over, but I must have had one of those referees who was sitting under the net that day because uh, I, I, I could block a little over and get away with it as long as I wouldn't bounce a ball, you know. If the referee saw a ball bounce, then he, he'd figure out I must have been over the net. The referees that were good were the ones that sat up on top of the pole if there happened to be a little a little seat on top of the pole, but usually they were underneath, which wasn't the greatest view. And so, uh, I mean, if you just didn't go over the net and block the ball, it would like softly to the other team to get another chance. Or your opponent, or your, your partner might get it. Anyway, basically I learned to play on the beach and then when I went to UCLA in the fall of 59, uh, UCLA only practiced on Wednesday night, UCLA volleyball at seven o'clock after freshman basketball and before faculty badminton at nine. Because there was one gym on campus and uh, it was highly valued. So they had all kinds of things going on there. I mean, when we practiced, we had wrestling behind one blue curtain and women's gymnastics behind the other blue curtain and one volleyball net in the center. That's how we did it. And, uh, but anyway, I, I worked uh, after school. I went in the morning, I cleaned the men's and women's pool from six to eight did some classes and I, and I went down and worked uh, recreation in Culver City. And then I, so I could practice at seven, so I, I could play on the team. So that's how I got my start. Wow, you uh, weren't afraid of hard work at an early age there, were you, Coach Skates? Well, my father, unfortunately was an alcoholic and uh, he didn't drink until after work. He drove a Peterbilt double gooseneck, took transformers up to Owens Gorge for the Department of Water and Power. Best driver they had down there. But first thing he did was go to the liquor store and uh, I don't know, buy a pint or half pint of Jim Beam. By the time he got back to Westchester, the bottle was gone, and when he got his check, it half the money would go to the liquor store, and then he'd give mom the rest. And uh, you know, I didn't realize the extent of it, but I remember I think I was in the fourth grade, and uh, I said, to, "You know, everybody's got a bike. I'd like. Can I get a bike?" He says, "Sure. You know, go out and earn, <laughs> mow some lawns." <laughs> so I bought my bike. When I was uh, 15 and a half, I'd, I had $600 cash. I bought myself a 52 Chevy. I couldn't drive it 
supposedly until I was 16. But, you know, dad had pretty much passed out by 8 o'clock, so I usually took it out. What he didn't know didn't hurt him, right? Yeah, yeah. I I was a good driver. He (laughs) he taught me how to drive by the time I was 12 because if we'd go somewhere and he'd be drinking, I'd have to drive back. Um, I remember driving the family back from the mountains one time. Our little sister, 10 years younger than me and my mother and my dad, and I was about 12, I think, maybe 13. I got us back. He'd take me down to the yard and let me Peterbilt around the truck yard. When I was a little kid, I'd have to sit on his lap to see over the steering wheel. So I learned to drive when I was pretty young. Yeah, I would imagine after driving a, a Peterbilt, uh, the Chevy was a, a walk in the park. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I always had a stick shift. I guess until I was married. No, I even had a 63 Volkswagen stick then, yeah. Oh, no, I remember. My, yeah, I had a... When we were married, I finally had a, a automatic. That's right, I had a Pontiac, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. So you, you had mentioned um, Gene Selznick. Um, who else, in including uh, Gene were some of those established players down there in about 59, I think you said it was, that uh, you saw down at State Beach that were, you know, the prominent well, ones that you were just blowing away. Were little guys like Bernie Holtzman, who was, who was pretty old at that time, and his son Dane was my uh, MVP in 1970, but Bernie and a, an old guy named Manny Sines, those guys were just little guys, and they were just fantastic, scrappy players. And the first gray one I saw was Gene Selznick. And uh, then when I started going to tournaments, uh, Brighton O'Hara was one of the best teams, and, and uh, uh, Lang was great. Lang and Selznick played together at that time. And uh, then later on, I got to see uh, Ron Van Hagen at, at Sorrento. I'd, I'd go down there late in the day. Sometimes if I I didn't have a night class, um, and there were, he'd be running out of partners, and I, I could play against him, which was really quite a, a, a thrill because he was so dedicated and so strong. Uh, indoor, the best setter I ever saw was Ralph Engen. Um, best hitter I ever saw early, these are my first remembrances, was a guy named Bill Olson. I think he was a former major league pitcher. He just passed on, he was playing for the Hollywood Y. Probably the best outside hitter I ever saw was a Russian named Buryanikov. He was playing for the USSR in 66 in Czechoslovakia when I saw him. The best, the most powerful American hitter I ever saw was Ernie Swore in 63. Um, yeah, those are s- some of those guys. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty good group of guys, I'd say. Well, Keith Erickson was an amazing hitter, too. Of course, he played for me also. I got a great story about him. Yeah. Dordwell, before Dordwell uh, passed on, when I interviewed him uh, back in the... 
uh, late winter, early spring, I asked him who one of the hardest, heaviest hitters he ever saw, and he said he saw, he mentioned uh, Olsen's name, and he said he saw that guy deliver some leather sandwiches indoors where he didn't think the people who got hit were ever going to get back up off the ground. So it's interesting to hear that uh, you, you feel the same. He was, he was uh, something, a sight to behold. Well, he, he had a tremendous vertical jump, and he'd cock his arm behind his head. Well, most most people do, but he would leave it there for the longest time. He had this tremendous lag like a golfer does, sometimes with a wrist cock. And uh, then it would, just, it would just come so fast, right at the height of his jump. He was an amazing guy. I just saw him two years ago at the... Um, Southern California Indoor Hall of Fame, and then uh, he got inducted the year after he died, unfortunately. Uh, but he was he was an amazing player. He quit for a while, and then he tried to come back, but he wasn't the same uh, when he came back out of retirement. But boy, was he good! I don't know what year I saw him. Probably when I started playing uh, volleyball for UCLA. In 1959-60, I bet you that's when I first saw him. I've heard all the... St- the st- go ahead. I want to tell you a Keith Erickson story before I forget it. Sure. I mean, I've got so much to talk about. Uh, uh, this was in... Uh, I started a volleyball league in 1964 because... To play volleyball, times you just had to go and play in a tournament at the local YMCA. And what would happen there was you'd start playing at 8 or 9 in the morning, and sometimes you wouldn't finish till 2 a.m. It would be a double elimination. And it was really just bush, the whole thing. It was terrible. So I started a college league, and uh, the best team... And the best coach was Colonel Bert DeGroote at Santa Monica College. They worked out five days a week. Uh, Colonel DeGroote was an associate chancellor or something at the, at, at the city college. And uh, he got whatever gym time he wanted. And uh, we were working out one night a week <laughs> because <laughs> we had one gym. But uh, so in 63... I think, or maybe 64, I don't know. Keith was not allowed to play volleyball. And Coach Wooden said, you're going to be the captain next year. I don't want you playing volleyball and associating with those guys at the beach anymore. And uh, so anyway, Keith comes up to me. We're playing Santa Monica College in the league finals in our men's gym Saturday afternoon. And he has his uniform, and he says, Coach, can I play? <laughs> and I, I said, well, we're not going to beat these guys if you don't play. Hell, yes, you can play. <laughs> you know? And uh, they had some good athletes and a great coach, and they, they were just better than us. I was recruiting guys off the football team. I had the center on the football team. I was teaching people to play. The only thing I had is two good setters that were in third year in law school, second or third year, 
uh, Steve Drummy and John Carmack. Those guys knew how to play. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I had about eight guys. I was struggling to get enough to have a team. Because, as I said, there was no high school volleyball, no club volleyball. And it was okay as long as I get a good athlete. I, I, I didn't mind teaching them how. That worked out good. But some were good and some weren't so good that I had. So, anyway, I grabbed the Daily Boone reporter and I said, look it, son. Do not put Keith's name in the Daily Bruin. You got that? In those days, they cooperated with you. And he says, oh, got it. Okay, I'll leave him out. So we beat him. Monday morning, I'm teaching school at uh, in Beverly Hills. I'm a full-time teacher. I'm a 10% employee of the university, <laughs> making, I don't know, $400 for coaching. And so I... I uh, I run in, I get a Daily Bruin, there's nothing in there about Keith Erickson. And I said, you know what, coach is gonna find out. So I go to the athletic department trailers sitting on Westwood Boulevard next to, next to uh, the athletic fields and stuff. And I go into Coach Wooden's office, knock on the door, he's gone, door's locked, he probably's out to lunch. J.D. Morgan's in the same trailer, our athletic director. He sees me, he says, what are you doing here? Because he knows I'm working full time, which is his rationale for not giving me more money or not, you know, making me full time. Well, you already have a full time job. So he, he says, what are you doing here? And I said, I've got to see Coach Wooden. He says, why? I said, well, I played Keith Erickson Saturday. You what? He grabs me and drags me in his office closes the door he says coach is gonna kick him off the team he told him that not to play volleyball and I'm thinking to myself this you know what I'm gonna resign I made a thousand dollars coaching high school football in 1961 I've been working here a couple of years I'm making 400 so I says when I resign he says great he gives me some paper so I resign that's it I'm gonna coach other sports. I didn't know what I wanted to coach anyway at that time. You know, my at that time my goal was to be a, a public school superintendent. I was going to night school, taking administration courses, you know. So anyway, I resigned. A couple of days later, Mr. Morgan calls me and says, well, I've, re I've, I've thought about this and uh, I want you back, and I'm going to give you $200 raise. Okay. So I says, uh, okay, I'll do it. So now we flash ahead. It's the 1970s or maybe 80s. I'm on a sports advisory board with John Wooden. And my wife Sue and John and I are having lunch at the Marriott and Irvine where we're having uh, meetings. We have meetings once or twice a year. And I said, Coach, let me tell you the story of playing Keith Erickson when you told him not to play volleyball? And he says, yeah, I remember that. He says, I tore up your letter of resignation. I said, all this time, I thought J.D. Morgan tore it, uh, tore it up. <laughs> and you're the man. He's, I says, because I wouldn't be coaching volleyball now. I, I would have been coaching, well, I would have been coaching. I probably would have been a school administrator. <laughs> right. Anyway, that's the story of Keith Erickson. I don't even know if Keith knows that story. 
Yeah, I heard yeah, Coach I Wooden it. didn't like it when uh, any of the volleyball players got close to his uh, his guys that could play like um, like uh, Lee and, and Valale and, and Keith. So that makes sense. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. John Valley was going to play volleyball for me. And I never saw... J.D. Morgan was there until 1978, and then he got ill. He only came in my practice one time, and that was to yank John Valley off the court the first day he came out for volleyball. And he was done with basketball. He took him away. No, he wasn't done with basketball. Oh, I know what it was. He heard he signed with an agent, which would have made uh, disqualified him from playing volleyball and probably made my team ineligible for sure if he had played in the match. Yeah, he yanked him right off the court. Valley was a heck of a volleyball player, and uh, he would have really been good. <laughs> yeah, John, John and I just laughed about that story recently. The only time J.D., came in my gym. But I, I gotta tell you, there wouldn't have been NCAA volleyball without J.D. Morgan, that's for sure. And I wanna tell you that story later, but I, I, wanna, I wanna come back to, probably I should talk about how I was hired at UCLA, is the name I think. Well, it was, uh, I was playing for Dr. Glenn Engstrom at UCLA. Okay. We practiced one night a week, and uh, unfortunately, that was usually after the fraternities had an exchange with the sororities. So, usually had a two-hour, five to seven Wednesday exchange <laughs> get-together with the sorority girls. So the sorority boys would come in, and you know they might have had a few cocktails. So our practices weren't exactly quality. And Glenn was a basketball player, so he brought in Harry Wilson to help Harry Wilson to help coach. Except Harry, who coached the Hollywood Y, didn't know how to coach. He was actually one of the worst coaches I ever had in any sport, going back to youth baseball. Uh, he just uh, all he did was talk to them or anybody else in the gym and try to figure out who the best players were and have them come over and play at the Hollywood Y. I mean, he got Rolf Ingen from UCLA, the best setter. He got uh, Mike O'Hara from UCLA, the best outside hitter. He got Art Alper, who was a tremendous outside hitter off their basketball team. So that's why he was there, just to recruit. He was a great recruiter. But anyway, that was our coaching staff, supposedly. Harry was a joke. He tried to teach me how to serve once and my serve was screwed up for about a week until I decided that, that I was serving just fine. <laughs> so, um, let's see, what, oh, where am I going with this story? Oh, so uh, Glenn says to me, I'm going to Japan and I'm taking a sabbatical for you. I'm gonna study, uh, do some underwater research over there. He was in kinesiology. And he says, why don't you be the coach? And, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking uh, this was 60, 61, no, 62, fall of 62. Sue and I were married. I, I was uh, 
getting my master's de degree in secondary credential and uh, I was going to go to work full time of course and so I, I just I just got a job teaching full time in Santa Monica of course this job only was Wednesday nights so I mean I could do it there wasn't any money in it but I could do it but it might you know, I couldn't get a real coaching job that paid real money because I couldn't accept any money because I wanted to play in the Olympics in 64. And if you accept money for coaching the sport you played in under the Olympic rules at that time, you were not eligible. You're a professional. <laughs> so anyway, one day I'm driving down, <clears throat> driving somewhere with Sue, and I decide, yeah, I think I want to coach volleyball. So I, I go to a phone booth and I call Wilbur Johns, the athletic director, and set up an appointment and I go in to see Wilbur and, and he's sitting at his desk, he's pretty busy, it's his last year as athletic director. And uh, he's not even making eye contact and I'm telling him about my experience, etc. And then I say, and I won't be able to accept a salary because I want to play in the Olympics. He jumps up and says, congratulations, son, you're hired. <laughs> That's how I got coaching job at UCLA. <laughs> this concludes part one of our interview with Coach Al Skates. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying this sort of content, please make sure to visit our website, which is godstoghost.com. That's www.go dstoghosts.com. We have plenty of pictures, videos, and transcripted interviews that we've done over the years on our website. Thanks again for tuning in, and you have a lot to look forward to with part two and part three of Al's interview coming up. Thanks.